0: Genesis 1, 26-31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful. And said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, be be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, Rul, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground." Then God said, "I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours, and to and to you all the beasts of the." earth, and all the birds of the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for the food, and it was so. God saw that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Graham. Y'all can be seated. Where you go. All right, between uh, 1525 and 1866, 12.5 million Africans were taken from their homes, forced onto ships, and sailed across the Atlantic to be slaves in the New World. Two million of those at least died in the voyage. 12.5 million slaves, men, women, and children. 12.5 million between 1525 and 1866. Today, in the year 2018, there are 21.5 million people who are enslaved. They're working as weavers and cigarette rollers and coffee harvesters and servants. They're working in brothels and brick kilns. They're living and working in all kinds of horrible, horrible situations, being stripped of basic dignities. And in many cases today, slavery doesn't look like it did 300, 400, 500 years ago. It has a different face. That a, a family is in, strapped for cash and they need 50 bucks and so they'll go to a, a leader in the local community who's got some cash and say, hey, can you help me out? They'll make a loan of $50 and you think, man, $50, that's easy enough to repay. But attached to that loan are such exorbitant fees that a family may be entrapped in slavery for generation after generation over an amount as small as $50 or $100. The sum is never paid off. And in most countries of the world, this is illegal. This is illegal everywhere, and yet justice is not administered. And so there are people, 21 million people in our lifetime, who are enslaved. Slavery sounds like something from way long ago, but it's something that's happening today. Ten years ago in, in the, the Chennai, India, in this uh, particular community, this community called the Gudiathan District, it's a community about, of about 200 people. So picture like a little village outside of Jinx, or Chennai is much larger than, larger than that, but a little village community of 200 people. In This little community of 200 people, there are 20 kids who are working as slaves. That's an elementary class full of kids who are working as slaves. They've never been to school. They're working all day and night. They're, making, they're weaving. They're, they're rolling cigarettes. They're making matches over little loans, like $50 or $100. They're not going to school. They're missing basic dignities. And with slavery, there's a zero-sum view of power, that one person has it and somebody else doesn't. And if the children in this example were to gain power, it would be at the expense of the power of the slave owner. One person has it. When power is corrupted, power is hoarded. Well, over the last decade, there have been tons of of great work done by organizations like International Justice Mission, but in this particular community, the Christian humanitarian organization World Vision moved in and slowly and methodically started to do some basic work like teaching finance workshops and trying to change the narrative in this community, started women's associations and taught financial literacy and helped people save money. And they also did this thing, they were educating the citizens about Indian law, that the practice by these slave owners was illegal. And so over time, these children who had been working in slavery were freed, and they were going into school, and World Vision was supporting these kids, starting their own kids' city councils. And these kids are working together to figure out how can we eradicate slavery in our community. And these children were going back to the slave owners who had once ruled over them and said, this is wrong, you can't do this. The little kids who used to be slaves were now confronting the slave owners, and the community was changing. It was changing because of world vision, because of this particular leader's name was Jayakumar, Jayakumar Christian, who went into these communities and taught the people and empowered the people. Jayakumar used the power that he had to give power to these people who were previously powerless. These kids who had known enslavement were now being restored in dignity and freedom and rights, and they were given options, whereas generations before them had been stripped of those options. Jayakumar and the World Vision staff were using their power to give power back to the community. Power at its very worst enslaves. Power at its very worst dehumanizes and diminishes and dishonors and discredits, and it's held by a few people. And power, you know, for most of us, would you say power is generally a good word or generally a bad word? Yeah, generally speaking, power is a bad word. To be powerful is not a good thing. Power at its worst dehumanizes, but power at its best of the variety that we see through guys like Jayakumar and the work of World Vision dignifies and multiplies and diversifies and enhances and honors and leads to flourishing. Power was designed to be a good thing. Power, like fire or sex or wine, is a gift from our Creator, but untethered from its original design, used outside of its uh, parameters, can be an incredibly destructive force with tremendous devastating consequences. The sermon series is called Redeeming Power, and it's one I've wanted to talk about for like four years um, and just haven't had occasion to yet. And the, the idea driving the sermon series is that power was not intended to be a four-letter word. Power was not supposed to be something that's bad. Power was a gift, and it's inherent in being an image bearer, someone who is created in the image of God. All of the people in this room are powerful. There's power, there's privilege, there are resources, there's willpower. All of the people in this room are powerful, and yet most of us uh, let that power go taken for granted or untapped, especially for its original purposes. So, uh, we we would honor God not by denying the fact that we have power, but by submitting ourselves to His power and stewarding the power that we've been given for the flourishing of others. So what is power and why do we need to talk about power in the church? What is power and why do we need to talk about it? At the most basic level, power is the ability to take meaningful action. At its most basic level, power is the ability to take meaningful action. Uh, When you put, you know, 20 bucks in the offering plate, you are using power. You are using the power that's been entrusted to you for a cause that you've determined is valuable. You exercised your power by coming to church this morning. Uh, In your vocations, uh, you are exercising your power. You could do any number of things, but you've chosen to exercise your power as a teacher or as a nurse or as an entrepreneur or whatever it is that you do. Power is the ability to take meaningful action. We all have power. Now, to be powerless is to not have the ability to take meaningful action or to make something of life. People who are forced into slavery have been robbed of an ability to choose for themselves what meaningful action they want to take. We're all ultimately going to be powerless before death. We're all going to die. There's 100% probability of that happening. Powerlessness is something that we will face in our lifetime. But power at its most basic level is the ability to take meaningful action. Now, that's different than a definition that you might uh, have confused, and that's privilege. Privilege is, is the perks sometimes of power. It's a right or an advantage or an immunity available to only the select few. So it's the executive entrance, the executive dining room, it's getting a pass on a parking ticket or something because you're friends with you know, someone in power, or it's any number of perks of privilege. You know, one of the things that, that would be appropriate for us to talk about it sometimes is, is white privilege which has been a major conversation in the last couple of years, the, the freebies, the like, like Pasco, that, that many of us get because we're white that other people do not get and are not afforded. And these are obviously big topics of conversation in 2018 when we've seen um, a lot of the bad side, the dark side of power and its abuses. From pastors to priests to producers of big television shows, who have used their power and the privilege associated with their power to exploit other people, to strip other people of power, uh, and whether it's for uh, for financial benefit or, or uh, sexual benefit, people have abused the positions and the privilege that they've been given uh, to the advantage uh, for their own advantage. And we've also seen power reversals, people who were previously stripped of power reclaiming power. We've seen that uh, certainly with the Me Too movement. We saw that in the state of Oklahoma with the teacher strike, feeling powerless, a large mass of people uh, acted uh, t- to some success. Um, we've seen power reversals. We've seen, you could think of lots of different examples of positive and negative uses of power. But power is also very confusing. You know, if power is often a four-letter word, it's like to be powerful is a negative thing. To empower someone else is a good thing. It's, you never, almost never hear empowerment being a bad thing. So it's bad to have power, but it's good to give away power. So it's good to give it away. It's bad once you have it. What a confusing thing. Uh, what's the deal uh, with power? It's a good thing to give. Bad once you have it. And I think it's because we've all known so many abuses of power. Whether it was a landlord or it was the like president of the homeowners association or it was, you know, you could pick an example at great and small levels, people who have taken the power that they've been given and abused it for their own personal gain. But in the text that Graham read, we see that power is inherent to human nature. Power in the very beginning was not a vice, it was a gift. It was inherent to being a person, a man or a woman created in the image of God. And and this morning, we're going to talk about the good story and the good news about power and talk in particular about three kinds of power. So, put your mind back in the text that we just read, that Graham just read, first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We see this beautiful poem of creation And in the poem, we're supposed, it's a hymn, we're supposed to appreciate the beauty and the orderliness and the symmetry of creation. How God has this great, God's the one who has like the light bulb go off and he says, let there be, this open handed, imaginative kind of sentence. There should be stuff. Let there be a light, and light exists. And with each stage of creation through the first five days and into the sixth day, there are these let there be statements. There's let there be sun, moon, and stars. Let there be fish and birds and plants and trees and beasts. God is exercising the first kind of power, which is creative power, with this great let there be sentences. And if you, can, if you can picture the first three days of creation, creating the, uh, uh, the sun, creating uh, the lights and the heavens, creating the seas and the skies, creating the land, days one through three perfectly match days four through six, where there's the creation of skies, there's the creation of birds, where there's the creation of seas, there's the creation of fish, where's the creation of land, you've got plants and you've got beasts. And at the apex of all creation, you have the creation of humanity. Let's read Genesis 1, uh, verse 26. After God has created uh, the beasts of the land, He says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So, why? So that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, the creatures that move along the ground. Let's create mankind in our image. For what purpose? For what purpose? So that they may rule. God in power created. And God used His power to empower the image bearers to rule, to exercise power over the created world. And the image bearers were male and female. God created male and female in His image to rule together. And God divi- d- defines what divinely blessed ruling looks like, what divinely blessed use of power looks like. We skip to verse 28. God blessed them, male and female, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the birds and the living creatures that move along the ground. He blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply and fill earth the earth. And this is a vision of God said, I want you to make more of what I've given you. I've made all this stuff. I've, I've set the table. I want you to take what I've, been, I've given you and I want you to make more of it, multiply it, spread it out all over the place, all over the planet that I've given you. It's a vision of multiplication and diversification and creativity and wildness, and it's installed into the makeup of plant life and animal life and human life. There's the whole bit about seed-bearing plants that shows up so many times in that first chapter. It's a vision of a plant that can self-generate, that can regenerate. It's a vision of more and more and muchness in the world that God has made, multiplication, diversification, creativity, and wildness. To make more, a more and different variety, not homogeneity. God wanted to create this like vast, explosive tapestry that, like, you could not begin to take it all in at once. It was so different and beautiful and dazzling. And God said, I want you to make more of what I've given you. And this was not an exploitive more, this was not for your own good, your own benefit more. I want you to have a, a diverse, explosive more, an honoring and a dignified kind of more. Recognizing the goodness of the created world because with each stage of creation, God said, that's, oh, that's good. That's good too. That's good. That's good. That's good. Oh, humankind, that's really, really good. I want you to make more of what I've made and, and you honor it and dignify it because it was imbued with goodness by its creator. And this is a call to creative power. God invented stuff that didn't exist. The the theological term is God created ex nihilo. He created out of nothing. He took nothing and he made it into so much somethings. This is creative power. At the most like primal biological level for human beings, you know, plants are able to uh, to regenerate. God created human beings in his image, male and female in Genesis chapter one. And together the male and female were to recreate or to produce more life, and in doing so to fill the earth, at the most primal level, this call toward creative power, toward multiplication, was even inherent within human beings who were told to multiply. But at the most broad level, at the most broad level, this call to creative power is the ability to take an idea or a concept or a seed or a plant or a relationship and incubate it and cause it to grow into something more than what it started as into something new and something more. I should say Todd mentioned Andy Crouch, who's just a a hero of mine, written so many great books. Uh, He wrote a book called Playing God, which inspired a lot of of this uh, conversation for me on a theology of power. And uh, Crouch says this. He says, on the very first page of the Bible, power, flourishing, and image-bearing are connected, being created in God's image. Power is intended for flourishing, for teeming, fruitful, multiplying abundance. Power creates and shapes an environment where creatures can flourish, making room for the variety, diversity, and unpredictability of coral reefs and tropical forests, but also the surprising biological richness of the deserts and the ocean depths. And image-bearing, being created in God's image, is for power— For it's the Creator's desire to fill the earth with representatives of His who will have the same kind of delighted dominion over the teeming creatures as their Maker. We're supposed to love and be amazed by this incredible world as God the Creator is, which means that image-bearing, the purpose of image-bearing, is for flourishing. The image-bearers do not exist for their own flourishing alone, but to bring the whole creation to its fulfillment." God was amazed and dazzled and pleased with the world that He'd made, and yet He he also created these image bearers, these people who were made to be like Him in creative power to steward over it and to make more of it. It's kind of like God created the the easel and the canvas and the paints, and He says, you guys have at it. Make something beautiful. It was a call to creative power. And I think the purest exercise of power is creative power, taking a little something that God has given and making it into something so much more because in exercising creative power, we reflect our Creator. Now, a couple different examples of that. One of those, uh, who knows Ben Rector, like the music of Ben Rector? Okay, some of us went to Metro with Ben Rector. Ben uh, just released this new album. It's pretty great. Uh, one song on there is called Old Friends. And what's really fun for like Tulsa people is, uh, it's a song about like, like, you can't make old friends. That's the idea. And so he, uh, he, he shot this video with his high school band. And uh, over the video, as they're playing the song, there's all this like textual commentary about like, yeah, I went to Wiley's house, and like this is where he lived, and this is his home phone number, and these are all the girls he dated. And it's really, really fun. Ben created this song, reflecting on his own friendships and his own life. And then he created the music video. Now, here's why this was so awesome and brilliant to me. is because when anybody watched that video, what did they feel compelled to do? Say it, Lindsay. Yeah, call an old friend. I watched this video, and I'm just like tearing up and getting all sentimental, and I text these buddies that I haven't talked to in 10 or 15 years. And it's so brilliant. It started out as an idea up here for Ben. It could have lived in his bedroom and never left, but Ben exercised creative power to create a cultural good that made more of the human beings who happened to hear it. So if you happen to hear this song and your heart has moved, you call man, I haven't talked to Ed and Holly in ages, and you call them, and it cre- it's a cultural good because of this little idea that just started up here. It's brilliant. I love that. Uh, you know, another example would be... Uh, uh, three times last week, I went to the Gathering Place. Anybody been to the Gathering Place? I mean, it's just bonkers. It's bonkers. And I was thinking about George Kaiser. Lots of other people have given uh, to make uh, the Gathering Place what it is. But take someone like George Kaiser, who's, who's been entrusted with tremendous wealth, and who's taken that wealth and, and made a lot more of it. And I'm, I'm guessing that on the weekends, George Kaiser is probably not the kind of guy who's going to throw on like athletic shorts and a t-shirt and go down to the volleyball courts. I'm guessing that he's probably not on his own going to go do like the jungle gym or a zip line. Uh, he took the wealth that was entrusted to him, observed the needs and the opportunities in our community and said, I'm going to create a cultural good so that knowing this, the, the history of our city, people of diverse backgrounds can come together and, and play and what was so amazing is I went to the gathering place on the day that it opened. And the thing that I was most struck by, in addition to the traffic, was uh, the diversity. That there were people that, of, of all kinds of colors and languages. And we're all playing on the, the blue herons and, and getting trapped in the like, castle thing. And he took what had been entrusted to him. Saw what was not and created. It was an exercise of creative power that led to flourishing. And people are playing. People are talking. I was at the Williams Lodge three times last week just because I had to go. And why would I be in the office when I could be there? And uh, and doing sermon prep and stuff. And what I loved is as I walked around, there are not plugs uh, that you can find easily, which means people are not lingering staring at screens. And it was louder than I wanted it to be because people were talking to each other. And I loved walking around, seeing all of these conversations among diverse people happen. It didn't exist. But a person and a group of people, it took took many hundreds, many thousands of people to pull this off, saw a need, had an idea, said let there be, and did create an exercise of creative power and created a cultural good that led to flourishing so that people could play, people could interact, there could be the beginning of healing in in a city that has deep and old wounds, as we'll talk about. It's creative power. Image bearers are called to join God in the exercise of creative power, but we're also called to join God in the exercise of nurturing power. Nurturing power is the second kind of power we're talking about. If you turned uh, the page in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2, you see this further command by God to, to Adam and Eve. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Maybe wording differently what we read in Genesis chapter 1. The Lord put him there to work it and to take care of it or to till it. Uh, This was, uh, Pope Francis wrote this magnificent work called the Laudato Laudato Si, which you can read in English, which is pretty great. And he's got this great line, a couple of lines. This is from Pope Francis. He said, although it's true that we Christians have at times incorrectly interpreted the scriptures. Nowadays, we must forcefully reject the notion that our being created in God's image and given dominion over the earth justifies absolute domination over over other creatures. So, even though God said, be in charge of everything, it doesn't mean that we completely exploit it. We have absolute domination. The biblical texts must be read in their context with an appropriate hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is how to study the Bible rightly. Uh, recognizing that the Scriptures tell us to till and care the garden of the world, for the garden of the world. Tilling refers to cultivating, plowing, or working, while caring means protecting, overseeing, and preserving. And this implies a relationship of mutual responsibility between human beings and nature. He so said God told us to, to nurture, to cultivate, to care for the earth, to exercise nurturing power. Uh, To nurture is to care for and encourage the growth of something else or someone else. To nurture is to care for and encourage the growth or the development of something. It's recognizing the dignity and the capacity and the potential of a thing and to do your part to use your power to help that other thing, be it a person or a plant or an idea, grow and multiply and become what it could. Nurturing power recognizes the vulnerability of growth. So, baby Charlie is in the room with us, with Jen. Uh, to to care for, to bring a child into the world is an incredibly vulnerable thing. It's such a vulnerable thing. And so, we need people with nurturing power who will commit to caring for and cultivating and aiding in the development of things in their most uh, 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 vulnerable stages. Nurturing power is using your power to help bolster the power of another. My next-door neighbor to the back, you learned about Fred last week. Today, uh, it's Francie. Francie's behind us. She's a widow. She's so sweet. My children have talked to Francie more than I have. They just they, they adore each other. And Francie is in her 80s, and uh, she discovered these pods. This plant was producing pods, and she gave these little pods to our kids and told them to plant them. Now, the pods might have fallen on the ground and died on their own. Maybe they would have burrowed into the soil and sprouted, but Libby and Sam took these little pods, and they asked for pots, and they asked for help with dirt, and they planted these little pods that had potential within them to become a plant, to become something that generates further life, but on their own needed help. They took these little pods and they planted them, and they've been giving them way too much water, just drowning them. But these things are still growing, and, and I was surprised by within weeks we see, we see green leaves and, and a stalk emerging out of the dirt in these little pots that my kids planted. My children are exercising nurturing power to help cultivate something that has power latent within itself. I think about coaches that I had growing up who I was never a great athlete, but with their help I got a little bit better. I think about, uh, a, man, a, a couple of Bible teachers I had in high school who uh, exercised nurturing power uh, in me, who volunteered a lot of extra time just to be with me and to, to pray for me and to ask what God was saying to me and to teach me how to read the Bible. It was an exercise of nurturing power. Uh, Nurturing can also mean healing power because there are deep wounds that we have that need tending, where there's hurt or there's sickness or there's injury. This is the kind of power that was being exercised by these children in Chennai who, seeing the wounds in their own lives and in their communities, were joining God and partnering with the World Vision staff to bring healing in a community that had known enslavement and indignity. They were using their power to exercise, to nurture, and to heal their community. A local example of this that's come out just in the last couple of weeks comes from Mayor Bynum and from uh, City Councilor Jack Henderson. So it's shocking that, you know, Tulsa in 1921 had one of the worst race riots in all of American history, but many, many people in the city of Tulsa and in the state of Oklahoma have never heard of it, know nothing about it. There's a community that had been historically disenfranchised, and many of them had ancestors who were brought over in the, the Atlantic slave trade, who were establishing themselves in Tulsa, building a business community called Black Wall Street, and, uh, and, and it's a complicated story, but in the end, there were hundreds of homes that were destroyed. Black Wall Street was destroyed, and, and the ends were never, It was never made right. And there have been rumors for years that there were mass graves somewhere in the city of Tulsa of African-American men and women who had been killed but who had not been given the dignity of a proper burial. And, and Jack Henderson, the city councilor, and Mayor Bynum uh, were, were asked about this recently, and they, were, they had made their announcement before they were really ready because they wanted to give an honest answer and said they've begun the investigation to find uh, possible sites of mass graves out of the Tulsa race riots. Now, I want you to imagine that it's your grandfather who went unlocated for years and years. I want you to imagine that it was your great-great-grandmother who no one knows what happened to her. She didn't have a proper burial. There's not a headstone that you can go visit and put flowers on. I want you to imagine how healing it would be for individuals and for families to see the people in power exercising their power to name and to begin to do the long work of healing for old, old wounds that have scabbed over but have not healed, not not become scars yet in our city. They're using their power to nurture healing and growth. Power was supposed to be a gift. This gift can be exercised as creative power, as nurturing power, as healing power, but power was entrusted to image bearers in a way that was supposed to lead to flourishing. Power was given to you and to me in a way that we would make much of the world that God made, and make it more, make it wonderful, make it beautiful, make it better, not something primarily to be used and exploited for our own benefit. And so I want to ask you, uh, you may be taking for granted the power that you have. I want you to think about the resources that you have available. And, and give yourself permission to not think just about the conventional forms of power like, you know, what politicians' phone numbers you have or, or how much money you have, the ability you have to make a phone call, uh, to take action of some kind, to encourage a friend. What, what, what resources do you have in your arsenal? What has God given you? What abilities, what resources, what ideas, what time, what influence, what willpower A lot has gotten done in this world with people who are highly motivated. And to what degree are you making more of the power that God gave you? To what degree are... Think about if you're a boss, the people who are under your care, if you're a parent, the children under your care, uh, the friendships you have, the opportunities you have. To what degree are you making more of the world that God has given you? How are you making more of people and opportunities and gifts and skills? And then here's the big picture question, this imaginative question. How can you most faithfully steward the power that God has given you to create and to nurture and to heal so that others might flourish? Open up your imagination. Spend time with the questions. How can you steward to the most, the most faithfully you can the power that God has given you to create and to nurture and to heal? In uh, Well, when was it, 2013, I went to New York and heard Andy Crouch teach on these topics, and uh, he had us open up our Bibles to John 13. We'll do that too. And I want you to listen to John 13 through the lens of power. We're going to read the beginning and end of this passage. This is called The Foot Washing. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Peter objects. When he would finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. And if I, your teacher, and your Lord have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. At the conference, Andy asked, because there were 100 of us or so, he goes, what do you notice about power? Feeling very confident, I raised my hand and I said, you know what's so amazing is how Jesus gave up His power to serve the disciples. And Andy smiled and laughed and he said, that is exactly not the point. He said, no, it's the opposite. Jesus, knowing that He had come from the Father, a position of authority, and would return to the Father, got up from the table, took off His outer garment and He washed their feet. When he finished, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, titles of power. He said, and it's right that you call me that. And if I, your teacher and Lord, have done this for you, so you should do this for each other. And if you do this, you will be blessed. The story is not an example of how Christians should give up our power. It's a story of how Christians should use the power that's been entrusted to us. Jesus certainly made more of the men that had been entrusted to him. Jesus certainly made more. He dignified. He empowered. When He ascended to His Father, He left with things in a much better situation than when He came. He left with the 3 and with the 12 and with the 72 and with uh, all kinds of people who were calling Him Lord and were joining Him in this great work of the renewal of all things. Jesus didn't deny His power. Jesus used His power for the flourishing of others. And He says, if you do that like I have done, you will be blessed. There's power in this room. There's privilege in this room. How are we going to steward what's been entrusted to us? Next week, we're going to talk about the abuse of power. It certainly got, uh, there's, an, there's a reason power has a bad rap, but it started out well. It started out as a gift, and it's meant to be something to be redeemed. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did not give up your power. Thank you that you exercised your power in, in humiliation to rescue the world. Thank you for using your power to dignify the undignified. Thank you for using power to ascend the cross. What was foolishness, what was embarrassment, what was defeat for the world was proven to be the power of God. We echo with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's foolishness to the Gentiles, but it's wisdom for those of us who are being saved. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, that you would stoke in us the fires of imagination. You would help us to use the power that you've been given, not to make ourselves wealthy, not to make ourselves noteworthy or famous, but to use the power you've given us to help the vulnerable flourish, and the people entrusted to us flourish. In Jesus' name, amen.